0: All right, good morning church. You're looking good. Brought out the winter clothes today, I can see. You had to switch closets this week. All right, Second Peter is where we're gonna be. Second Peter chapter two is where we're gonna be. Wanna say hello to the folks joining us online. Please come visit us if you find yourself in the 828, as well as the uh, the other campuses, uh, before we jump in, there, let me give you two dates, if you would, to not just pray about, but also do all you can to make sure they are on your calendar. First one is Christmas Eve. You'll be hearing a bunch about that. That is December the 24th. I think there's 14 services that day around the 828. And so make sure, A, that you are at one of those, but two, and just as importantly, make sure you have a friend with you, all right? People are super open in that time of year to receive an invitation from somebody that they know and somebody that they trust. Hopefully you have some people like that. Second one to put down, if you would, please, is January the 8th. We've never done this before, but we will have a what's called a vision weekend where we will be laying out on January the 8th all the stuff that the Lord has opened up for us to walk through in the year of 2023. Everything from what God has put on our plate regarding foster care or compassion or church plants or church campuses, listen up, Haywood County, all those things be thinking, all right, how do I make sure I'm there uh, on the 8th, all right? So January 8th, December the 24th, two big dates, get them down, Second Peter. Second Peter uh, Chapter Two. Let me tell you on the front end, uh, man, this text is a doozy. I always, this is if you 're like I came to church looking for an encouraging positive hope filled message well that 's next week. all right. This week is intense this week this week is a warning. This week reminds me of and I know that i mean a hundred years ago when I did driver's ed as a 15-year-old. There were two things that I don't think they do anymore. Number one is, at that point, we had these little uh, simulators, all right? We'd sit in these simulators, and it it's kind of like today's games that you would sit in and have an awesome time, but I think they've gotten rid of those. I know they've gotten rid of the horror films that they used to show us in driver's ed, Remember those? Come on, boomers. Somebody raise your hand. You remember those. Okay. If you don't believe me, you can go back and look at these. But they were, they were, they scared you to death. But what they were legitimately, they were these films they would make you watch in driver's ed of all this carnage, these accidents that would happen. It's like this is what'll happen to you. If you drive while you're sleepy, or you drive while you're drinking, or if you if you look down and try to change the radio station, you will get in this wreck, and they would show these wrecks. They would show these, and they got a little bit better as the years went on, but they would show this carnage right there. Don't put your arm out the window because there might be a sign there to rip your arm off, all this stuff. And they would show it, and you cannot get it out of your mind. Now, I say that to say the reason they did that is trying to reinforce the power that we had behind the wheel of a car. They were trying to tell us and drive home the point that what you have is powerful, and if you are careless with it, It can harm you and it can harm other people. Now what's going to happen in the text today, if you weren't here last week, last week was all hallmark and promises and awesome stuff that was super, super uplifting. The whole thing was, listen, you can trust the Bible. It is an invaluable gift that God has given to his people for our blessing and for our benefit and for our growth And by the way, again, if anything is valuable, it's worth protecting. That's why you have a lock on your car. That's why you have a lock on your house. That's why you have a password on your technology. Why? Because that's valuable stuff. And so in chapter two, he's gonna say, chapter one is about, listen, God's word is super valuable. But chapter two is, because it's valuable, it is worth protecting. And so chapter two is about protecting the blessing in the word of God that he has given us. So, 2 Peter chapter two starts off with one word that ties it to chapter one, and the word is but. It's but, it's a conjunction saying that what I'm about to tell you is tied to what I just told you. What I'm gonna tell you now has to be seen and applied in light of what I just told you and what he just told us again is how valuable the Word of God is, how reliable the Word of God is. And if it's if you weren't here last week and you're like, I'm not sure if all that stuff is true, just go back to last week. We kind of went to the intellectual questions. But today is the application based on last week's implications on what the Bible is and then how do we respond to it. But all of chapter two is what happens when a preacher or a church or people Move away from God's word. What are the consequences? What happens? How do you recognize it when a church or a preacher move away from the word of God? And I will say this. uh, I studied the whole thing. There's like 21 verses. We're only gonna get through, I think, like three or four. So don't panic when 20 minutes in, I'm on like verse two, all right? Don't panic on that. Just realize one to three lay out pretty much the whole chapter, and verse four on are the illustrations and the application saying, just like I just told you, here's an illustration of that. So I might refer to them, but one to three is an enormous amount of food for us. So what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna read one, two, and three and then work back through them. So verse one says this, but false prophets also arose among the people just as there will be false teachers among you who will secretly bring in destructive heresies. By the way, this is very similar. Jesus warned about this throughout his ministry. He battled with false teachers. They were called the Pharisees. The Pharisees were sort of the ones that uh, were the moralists of the day, but they had disconnected from the word. They had disconnected from the main point of the word. He also did some battle with the Sadducees. Those were like the... Theological liberals of the day, they had gotten rid of all the stuff, all the fundamentals of what the word said. And so here it is, Peter, shortly before he is going to be crucified upside down, he is specifically talking about what Jesus warned us about. They will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the master who bought them. We'll come back to that. Bringing upon themselves swift destruction. Verse two. And many will follow their sensuality. And because of them, the way of truth will be blasphemed. Verse three, and in their greed, they will exploit you. It means to trade on you. Here in a few minutes, I'm gonna show you how what, what they trade on people with are the same three temptations that we have tried to drive home over the last year. It's the grid in which every temptation you will ever face comes through. And in their greed, they will exploit you with false words. Their condemnation from long ago is not idle and their destruction is not asleep. Okay, what we're gonna do is we're gonna, every single word of this is important. And so I'm gonna try to bring out a few words and then apply it to where you are, where we are as a church, both little C and big C. So verse one, false prophets also arose among the people. He's looking back, talking about the nation of Israel, but now he's talking to them, a New Testament church, just as there will also be false teachers among you and who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the master who bought them, bringing upon themselves swift destruction. All right, first word to kind of ruminate on a little bit, it's the word secretly. In other words, it's not obvious. It's not like a preacher or a teacher will come in and say, you know what, hey, church on the front end, I don't even believe this Bible. They're not gonna come in and say, I don't believe anything this says. A false teacher, he says, it'll be secret. They will claim allegiance to Jesus, but they will move away from the teachings of Jesus. They will, and here's the part you're gonna see repeated, They will keep parts of the Bible and then remove other parts. They will will maximize certain parts of the Bible and minimize other parts of the Bible. Uh, Thomas Jefferson did this. Thomas Jefferson is famous for many reasons, but one of the things that became known way after he was president was the fact that he took some scissors and a razor And he literally cut out the parts of the Bible that he did not like. He took the New Testament and with scissors and a razor, and he cut out all the parts. He liked the teachings of Jesus. He just didn't like Jesus's claims to be God or to be the only one that could forgive sins. He said, I don't like any of that supernatural stuff, but I do respect you as a moral teacher. So he cut out all the supernatural stuff and then left the moral teachings of Jesus in there. He's saying, that's what false teachers will do. Now, look at the word heresy. I know that in the Day of Discernment blogs, anybody and everybody is accused of this, so let's at least know what we're talking about. The word heresy literally means to choose. It means to select. In some ways, it's not a rejection of Jesus as much as it is a reduction of Jesus, it means I'm going to select the parts of Jesus that I do like, and then I'm going to reduce the other parts that I'm not as fond of. It's kind of like we've said before it's like treating Jesus like a salad bar. You know, salad bars are awesome. I mean, who doesn't like a salad bar? All right, you can, some of those salad bars actually have got like more carnivore stuff. than than the menu does, and that's an amazing thing. I like this, I like that, I don't like that. I've never liked blue cheese. Why do I like, I like ranch, that's what I like. So pass on the blue cheese, go for the ranch. Awesome for a salad bar, terrible for Bible study. And what he's saying here is that uh, false teachers will pick and choose. And, And just so you understand, the original false teacher was way back in Genesis chapter three. And way back in Genesis chapter three, what he tries to do is cast doubt on God's word. Here's what he says. He says, did God really say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? Listen to me, this is super important. Almost every temptation that will come your way will be preceded by a phrase similar to that. Did God really say, I mean, listen, in their case, think how easy their case was. In their case, there were very few commandments at that time. I mean, you could have put all the commandments of God on a three-by-five index card at that time. You know, it's like basically uh, multiply and flourish and exercise dominion, and that's it. That's all you got to do. And by the way, don't get by that tree and so what does he do? He comes and he casts doubt. Did God really say this? Did God really mean that? God's not getting, and he finally goes from having her question the word of God to doubt the goodness of God. To say, you know what, did God really say? And then finally, it's like, God will not kill you. You can't trust God. You know better than that. You got this girl, you can do it. Man, this happens today. The first temptation is, did God really say you're not supposed to divorce your spouse? I mean, did God really say to tie the part of your income? Did God really say that he made man and woman both in his own image? Did God really say that? Doing that podcast a few weeks ago, the head of the Summit Wellness Center, she said that, she let us in on a fact that one of her friends, one of their FBI friends, said that the best liars are the ones that give you some truth, but not all the truth. The ones that can pass the lie detector tests, it's not that everything they say is true. What they do is they try to hide the lie, don't even get to the lie, don't get to the consequences. So they just traffic in partial truths, half truths, so they don't ding the radar and don't ding it and fail the lie detector test. What they'll do is they will tell the part of that that is true and then leave out the part that is a lie and therefore they won't come across or be deemed as a liar. Listen, that is exactly what a false teacher does. Listen, you you gotta do this. You gotta be able to be discerning today, folks. Some of the stuff that you're like, well, hey, hey, read this book, listen to this preacher, listen to that podcast, you've gotta be discerning because what he says is, listen to that next phrase, even denying the master who, who bought them. And what he's saying is a false teacher, a true heretic denies the gospel's core message that Jesus was the payment for our sin on the cross. Jesus bought us. And listen, this is not meant to slam any one particular person, but despite preaching to the contrary, the message of the gospel is not that Jesus came to make good people better. All right, that's not what it is. It's not that Jesus is our life coach so that you can have your best life now. That's not the Bible's message. The Bible's message is you and I were rebels against the holy God. We were dead in our trespasses and sin, Ephesians chapter two. But by God's grace, Jesus lived the life we were supposed to live and then died in our place as a substitute. And... Um, Peter knew this better than anybody because of all the stuff that he had messed up on. And so in his first book, he says, know that you were ransomed, you were ransomed with the precious blood of Christ, like a lamb without spot or blemish. And so he ties him into all this first part of this book. So if you're new to Bible study, you've got two main sections of your book, Old Testament and New Testament. They're not two different gods. Okay, it's one God. It's one story. The whole story is in the Old Testament, a rescuer is coming. The New Testament is the rescuer is here. That's the whole story. So, verse two. And many will follow their sensuality, and because of them, the way of truth will be blasphemed. Many will follow. That means they're very popular, sell a lot of books, do a lot of podcasts. It's not a matter of how many people follow, but look what he says. We'll come back to it. It says sensuality, which means feelings. It's not just sex, it's about feelings, it's the way you feel. And false teacher will basically elevate your feelings above God's word. Now, they might not say it like that, but it basically comes out like this. Because you feel a certain way, you are your autonomous self. You're an autonomous God. You are God unto yourself because you feel a certain way or the way that it's said and sometime you hear it here, and that is, The God God that I serve would never fill in the blank. The God that I serve would never, and sometimes you are 100% correct because the God you serve sometimes, when we say the God I serve would never do, and we fill in something clearly taught in the Bible, it's because that's not the God you serve. You've created a God in your own imagination. But the God I serve would never is is getting on dangerous territory. So what the Bible is uh, Here's, this is, this is the, the main truth I got for me. What the Bible says is not always going to equal what I desire, okay? At some point, at some point, you have to ask the question, am I going to mold my life to the word of God or am I going to mold the word of God to my feelings? That is the question you're gonna have to answer all the time in a big way, and oftentimes in a small way. Because up until you, listen to this, up until you disagree with what the Bible's teaching is, up until that point, that is not submission, that is convenience, that's all it is. Submission only occurs when you and God disagree, and just like I said last week, is the, the decision you have to make on a, overall basis and then on a daily basis? Is God's word above me and I am submitted to it? Or am I an autonomous being? Am I my own God and I am above that and I get to pick and choose the parts that I like? And that's really the question. And just so you know, you're like, well, I wanna be a Jesus follower and then still pick and choose. And what you have to wrestle with is the fact that Jesus said, not the smallest letter. And he's talking about the the first half of this book. He takes the smallest Hebrew letter. It's a punctuation mark. It says, not a single one of those will pass away. So Jesus had like a super, super, super high view of the scriptures. And he said, I didn't come to abolish it. I came to fulfill it. And so what you've got to do is uh, ask the question, do I mold my life to the word or do I mold the word to my life? Again, it is, and here's the problem. Here's the danger with a sermon like this. The danger with a sermon like this, especially in a church, and we take the Bible like super seriously, if you hadn't noticed. The, the danger in a sermon like this is we think it's about somebody else. We think it's about your, you know, your liberal cousin, Eddie, or something, and you're like, well, it's, it's not for me, it's for him. I wish they were here, and what we have to wrestle with and understand is there's a little heretic in all of us. There's a little hypocrite in all of us. If you don't think that's true, just ask yourself a question. Have you ever thought or rationalized something like this? I know what the Bible says about filling the blank, but my deal's different. I know what the Bible says about, but my deal's different. I know what the Bible says about serving my wife, but my deal's different. You know, you hadn't met my wife. I know what the Bible says about money, but man, come on, man, it's a tough time. We're in between boats. I mean, we're in between jobs. I mean, that's where we are. I know what the Bible says about forgiveness, but you don't know what they did. I know what the Bible says about sexuality, but that's not the way that I feel. And so here's what happens. Verse three. And in their greed, they will exploit you. They will trade on you. How will they do so? With false words. Their condemnation from long ago is not idle. And their destruction is not idle is not asleep. I want you to notice that the false teachers, they pray, not P-R-A-Y, but P-R-E-Y, they pray on the same lures that we've talked about six or seven times in the last year. And if you were to turn one page over in your Bible, maybe two pages in some of your Bibles, you would come to a book called First John And in 1 John chapter two, verse 15, John tells us that every temptation that you experience is gonna come through a grid of one of three things. In other words, it might look different, it might have a different face, it might have a different name, but the the basic thing it's trading on are all found right in here, and the way John puts it is everything in the world, everything in the world. And this is, what, this is what I was thinking even when we were singing. I was like, this is why every minute that we're together, either you with your connect group, us congregationally, it's why every single minute matters. It's why it's like, man, don't come in three songs in. There's like 72 minutes that we are together. We try to saturate this thing with the gospel, reminding you of what God has done. There are 10,080 minutes the rest of the week. And so what you gotta figure out is like, man, if I've got 10,000 minutes talking to me, I've gotta have some voices talking the other direction. Because here's what's gonna come your way. It's gonna come to all of our, all our ways. 1 John 2, verse 16, it says, all that is in the world... He says, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life. If you've missed the other six times we've talked about this during the last year, let me give you a refresher. The desires of the flesh, it's the desire to feel something. That's why verse two uses the word sensuality. Again, it's not just sex. It could be, it could be anything that makes you, it could be food. It's anything that makes you feel a certain way that's outside of God's boundaries. That's why you hear stuff, and I'm not trying to, Somebody told me one time, it's like, man, you're always hammering on marriages. You're always hammering on marriages. The reason I'm hammering on marriages is because many of you, most of you will be married at some point in your life, not all. But then half of you, at some point, the temptation will come. She doesn't make me feel the way I used to feel. He doesn't make me feel the way I used to feel. And the whisper will come into your ear that says, he doesn't make me feel that way anymore. But he sure does. That guy at the office, man, he's always telling me how pretty I am, how smart I am, how intellectual I am, how much I bring to the company. And pretty soon, pretty soon, it's like, since since he doesn't make me feel that way anymore, and I deserve to be happy, and I deserve to feel this way, I'm gonna get outside of God's boundaries and go that direction. That's the the desire, that's the lust of the flesh. What's the lust of the eyes? Desires of the eyes is to have something. Verse three talks about greed. All lust of the eyes says, it says, possessions will satisfy me. Again, for repeat, there's nothing wrong with stuff. There's nothing wrong with shiny stuff. There's actually something almost intoxicating about the smell of new leather, leather, right? It's like, man, when you go to a car wash, what do most of us get with that aroma? New car smell. That thing might be 10 years old, but I'm gonna get some new car smell because I don't want the french fry smell and I don't want the nasty diaper smell. I want the new car smell. And it's fine to like new stuff as long as we realize it ultimately will not satisfy us. It just won't. The newness will wear off I came across a quote from C.S. Lewis this week that I actually had never read before. It says, God cannot give us peace and happiness apart from himself because it is not there. There is no such thing. So what is it? It's the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and it's the pride of life. You notice what the false teachers played on? Just popularity, popularity. And that's what the pride of life does. The pride of life is the desire to be something. That's why you got 50-year-olds, when they haven't accomplished what they think they ought to accomplish, then they do stupid stuff. That's why you see guys with that shirt unbuttoned halfway to your navel and trying to show your chest hair and you're driving around in a convertible. Bro, nobody wants to see that, just so you know. Nobody wants to see that. Nobody wants to see that. That's just the pride of life. That's the pride of life. The pride of life is all about ego. It's about comparison. It's about I'm gonna show the people who said I couldn't do it it's the Toby Key theology. How do you like me now, all right? That's what he's saying. It's that whole idea. Let me get a blue check mark by my name. Everything's awesome. And what verse three says, they will exploit you with false words. They will trade on you. The word false there is artificial or plastic. Now there's a bunch of, I know some of you are like, well, what would those be today? What would those be today? Now, there's, it's easier when you stay there ancient because there's really nothing new under the sun. If you were to do a, church history study over the last 2,000 years, you would hear fancy names like Pelagianism and antinomianism and all these kind of fancy things that a lot of times the early church fathers had to deal with, that the ones I'm about to tell you, I'm just going to give you three or four, all right? I'm going to give you three or four. And whether you call this false teaching, whether you call it heresy, the text doesn't really define what's the distinction. I'm going to include both in this small list I'm going to give you. Probably technically heresy is getting away from the first tier issues of the gospel and false teaching may be a part of that, but it might be just stuff that is just off, off base but doesn't deal with the essentials. So what would those be? And again, I could probably give you a list of 10. And no, but just so you know, if you're new here, nobody likes to fight except like middle schools. You know, they fight, fight, fight. Everybody likes to see a fight. But when you get older, you're like, you know, you don't, wanna, you don't wanna fight, but some stuff is worth fighting for. And when it comes to the gospel and it comes to heresy, some stuff is worth fighting for. That's why there's a bunch of stuff in here about it. The apostle Paul warns the Ephesian elders, listen, wolves will come in after me. That's why like, there's whole books of the Bible, like the book of Jude, about nothing but false teachers. Because you've got a God who loves you intensely, and so he warns you intensely. So here's some today. First one I've talked about before, and you can flip through channels today and you can find this, you can find this, not in, you can do it in five minutes. As a matter of fact, hey, before I even do that, ones I'm gonna list, you might, what about about this? What about this? We live in a day of, you don't have to have anything to say to be published, you understand that? 20 years ago, you had to have something to say or people that wanted to hear what you had to say you had to have some verification that what you said had something to it or it's called fiction. Nowadays, you can just write stuff about anybody at any time with no check mark on it at all. And so what I'm gonna list is not a heretic or a false teacher. It's not somebody that you just disagree with politically. Okay, it's not. It's not just somebody that you think some of the stuff they do is maybe a little weird or a little bit off base, but it has nothing to do with the essentials of Christianity. I'll be blunt. In a day, in a day when people can get on there and call people like Tim Keller and J.D. Greer a heretic, that is a day that is you like, you are not discerning. You're just not. So here's, here's what I would say would be false teaching. Number one, the prosperity gospel. The prosperity gospel. You flip through some channels, you can find somebody selling this that says, if you love God, then God owes you health, wealth, and happiness. He owes you cotton candy and Cadillacs. If you just love God enough, then he owes that stuff to you. Now, the problem with that is (laughs) is Christian history and the Bible. That's the problem with it. That's the problem. The problem is Christian history. Do you understand? All the apostles died poorly. They all died badly. They got like boiled in oil. They got like beheaded. They got crucified upside down. Peter's wife got crucified the day before. He got crucified. Did they not have enough faith? They didn't believe God enough? That's silly. So that's what I mean. It's like maximizing parts of God and minimizing parts of God. Go to Hebrews 11. You'll maximize the first part about how God rescued them all and then minimize the back part and said, hey, some were beheaded. Some were thrown to the lions. And some of you are going to push back and go, well, doesn't God want to bless you? God doesn't want to bless you. He's a good dad who gives good gifts to his kids. He is that. But the focus is not on the gifts. The focus is on God's glory. And half the time, some of the gifts, half the time the gifts that he gives us end up separating. We end up leaving him for those gifts. Now, uh, just straight up, let me just... An empty tomb and an empty cross does not mean cash and prizes always for you. Jesus said, listen, blessed are you if you were persecuted for what? Such were the prophets before you. Rejoice, rejoice if that's you. So um, second one, theological liberalism. Theological liberalism. Theological liberalism has had to be dealt with with every mainline denomination in our country's history, every single one. Theological liberalism is basically, and and what happens is those denominations, they split. And one of them is like, we're gonna hold to the Bible and the other one just says, we're just gonna hang out with the Bible a little bit. And here's what happens. When you take, here's the Bible, when you take one step away, sometime you're like, I'm taking one step away And you're like, it's harder to see. Then I'm gonna take another step away and what happens is over a period of decades, an entire denomination can move away where initially it was maybe some secondary issues you wanna be careful of, but then it ends up becoming some primary issues. So um, here's what I wanna teach you. I wanna teach you to be able to do what's called theological triage. Theological triage is very important for your maturity in the faith. Theological triage, just like a triage, it, by the way, triage comes from a French word which means to sort, to sort out. And so if you're in the medical profession and you're in an ER area, they learn to triage, which means as people come in, they sort them out based on the urgency in which their care is needed. So if somebody comes in with a shotgun wound, they are prioritized over somebody with a scraped knee. Why? Because one might need to go to surgery, the other one might need some Advil, but either way, we've gotta to get to the shotgun wound first. It's triaged, it's put in first order. So let me just tell you that as a Christian, you need to realize there are first order things, there are second order things, there are third order things. It's not that all of it's not important, it's just not all first order things. And before you say, oh, well, everything's important, everything is important, everything's just not first order. Otherwise, the apostle Paul would not have told the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 15, it is of first importance. It's in first importance that he talks about the resurrection. So let me, first order. First order would be things that are essential to Orthodox Christianity, that are essential, that are part of the historical Christianity that we stand on 2,000 years of biblical fidelity towards. Essential. You're like, what are those? And these would include, not necessarily exhaustive, but this would include the bodily resurrection of Jesus, the humanity and the deity of Jesus. Justification, Justification by faith alone the authority of God's word, those kind of things. Those are like first order deals, substitutionary atonement of Jesus. That's first order kind of stuff. When I say first order, it means you cannot really even call yourself a Christian in a biblical sense if you're like, yeah, forget that. And a church, by the way, I will just tell you, a church that gets away from those, it is a matter of time before they become nothing more than a boys and girls club. Nothing against the boys and girls club. They do some awesome stuff. But a church is first and foremost supposed to preach the gospel of Jesus and stand on the gospel of Jesus. That's what it's supposed to do. So that's first order. Second order things are ones that we might disagree with. And if we disagree with them, there's gonna be some, we can still call each other brothers in Christ, but there's gonna be, be some boundaries, which is why a lot of denominations started. Those would be second order things. We disagree. We might not go to the same church, but we kind of have the same essentials. Those will be things like, for example, maybe the mode of baptism or something like that. Now, third order, third order are things that we disagree with, but listen, we're in the same family. We can even go to the same church. It's things like um, eschatology. Now, a main thing, first order thing is Jesus is coming back. We'll see that next week. All right, if you wanna like, hey, I I want the eschatology. I want you to tell me about all that end time stuff. That's next week. Okay, that's chapter three. But the timetable, the calendar, how all that stuff's going to flesh out, in what order, all that stuff—we can disagree and still be brothers. What I'm trying to tell you is, though, theological liberalism is something you're going you're to—it probably started about 80 years ago in force in our country, and it's just—it's gone. Third one would be, and I don't know—I don't know really. Uh, Way to say it, other than just cheap grace. Cheap grace. Bible scholars call it licentiousness. Cheap grace just sounds easier to say. Cheap grace. Cheap grace basically says, I'm saved by grace, but I can live any way I wanna live. I know a grace that saves me, I just don't have a grace that changes me. Now we said everybody checks off the sanctification box in different order. But if there is no checking off of the box, if there is no evidence of the spirit of God working in your life, if it's the attitude, it's like, man, I'm going to heaven. God is good. Jesus is awesome. I can go sin any way I want to with no conviction. The end of the book of Romans chapter five and the start of the book of Romans chapter six is this exact issue where people are like, listen, grace is awesome. And if grace is so awesome, I want more of it. And if I sin more, I can get more grace. Sounds like a good deal. And what the Apostle Paul says, he says, so, so you should continue in sin so that grace might increase? And then he says, God forbid, the closest the cussing the New Testament ever comes, God forbid that you and I should say, because grace is so awesome, I'm gonna sin more to get more grace. So, what he says here is what's coming their way. Verse three says uh, condemnation, and then from verse four on, it gives illustrations, illustrations of condemnation like rebellious angels, like the flood, like Sodom and Gomorrah, like a greedy preacher named Balaam as examples. That's what he says. And some of you, especially if you're new to our church, are like, man, I heard y'all about a lot of grace and you're like bringing it to, you know, a lot of brimstone today. Let me ask you how you would feel if somebody mischaracterized who you were. Somebody came up to you and said, Hey, I wanna, you're so awesome. I wanna write a I wanna write a book about you. I'm gonna write a book about you. And so you spend all this time and you tell them who you are, and let's say for you, you share your you share the facts, and then the book comes out, and the book says something like he is a fighter pilot with a dysfunctional family, and loves cats. And you're like, what? I'm scared of heights, my family is intact, and I'm a dog person. You would be upset because that is a mischaracterization of who you are. And then you've got the God of the universe that says, this is who I am like, and then what they're doing is, the false teacher is mischaracterizing them as being something to say, this is who he's like, and he's like, that's not what I'm like at all. So. You're like, why is he so passionate about it? Well, here's, here's the way, uh, skip down to verse 19 real quick. Let me show you one example. Here's, it says, they promised them freedom, and they themselves are slaves of corruption. For whatever overcomes a person, to that he is enslaved. He's basically saying, I know today the definition of freedom is I can do what I want, when I want, with who I want. That's the definition of it. What the biblical definition of freedom is, is I can, do, I can do what honors God and is good for my soul. He's saying the, the addict doesn't say, boy, how free am I? That's what he's saying. He's, he's, he is enslaved. So here's what I, you all have heard that old illustration about how the FBI looks at counterfeit bills. Almost anybody's heard this illustration. So I looked it up again to see if it was actually true because the old story goes, the way that FBI understands what counterfeit money is or whether feds realize, hey, this is, a, this is a counterfeit bill is they don't study the thousands of different counterfeits, they study the main thing. And I found that it is true. They look at, they look at, they look at the edges of it and they feel, they, they touch it. They're like, man, this paper, this paper, they feel the paper. They actually let them tilt it up so they can look through it because there's like some hologram deal in there that they can tell. It's like, all right, there it is right there. And they actually look through it because they can tell how much density the paper that original $50 bill has. So here's my, the whole point is this. You're like, oh, should we, study? should we study counterfeit gospels? Should we study it? There's nothing wrong with it, but what I would much rather you do is get so familiar with the authentic gospel you recognize an unauthentic gospel when it comes across your television. When you hear somebody say something that doesn't line up, it's like, you know what? I know the real gospel, I've seen the real gospel, I've studied the real gospel, and that's not the real gospel. You could see it. That's why in his first book he says the angels, the angels look, they're just always looking at the gospel going, I can't, that's that's amazing. It's amazing God would do that. And some of y'all got saved late in life. Some of you got saved recently i got a bunch of people being baptized at different places today. I think in another service, there's like, okay, getting baptized. You know what those people are saying? I promise you, they haven't gotten over the gospel. The question that you gotta ask is, have I gotten over the gospel? I got saved when I was 17. And I, I, I don't ever, I don't ever wanna get over that. I really don't. I don't ever wanna get over the gospel that at 17, I was a rebellious, hell-bound sinner against a holy God. I used his name in vain. I blasphemed. All of that stuff was me. I don't ever want to get over the fact that he took me from a condemned sinner to a beloved son. I don't want to get over ever get over the fact that once I was condemned and unfit for use, and now I'm a preacher. Don't ever want to get over that. So, what happens is sometimes when we sing, some of y'all look at people next to you and you're like, man, you got to settle down, bro. You got to settle down. It's not that the way you worship is necessarily how you feel about Jesus, but if you're like awestruck of the gospel, because you know why you need the gospel every day? It's because we forget it every day. We forget it every day. I forget it's not my activity that makes me acceptable before God, it's Jesus's activity on the cross that makes me acceptable before God. I forget that every stinking day. So I gotta remind myself of the gospel every single day. That's why for like 72 minutes, this is as saturated with the gospel as we can possibly make it. So it's like gospel concentrate. So it lasts you at least until, you, until tomorrow evening when you can open up your own Bible. And so when we look at it, when... We sing some of these songs. There's this one song we're gonna sing and I'm like, man, I, just, I, can't, I can't get over the fact that it's like there's this one place in this next song that just says, you stand by my, I was like, man, this is awesome. You stand by my side and you stood in my place. Oh gosh, you're kidding me? You stand by my side. That's right out of 1 John chapter one and two. An advocate, he stands, he stands right by my side. But then he stood in my place. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they do. So my question to you is, when you're tempted to look at somebody else who's kind of goating after it and getting a little crazy and getting a little fired up, and you're like, what's wrong with you? I think the bigger question is, what's wrong with you? What's wrong with you? You can't even put your hands together. You can't even put your hands up. You can't even at least kind of move a little bit. I mean, just get your Baptist butt out of the chair and do something to say, this is what God has done for me. I mean, you're gonna do it today? You can do it for the Panthers and they stink. I mean, that's what you're going to do. You're going to cheer for them and they're terrible, all right? And God is good. And we're like, well, I don't know. I mean, whatever. Just, so how do we respond? We're going to respond by singing. And another thing, we, we respond by coming. I know some people are like, ah, I don't have to go up there. You don't have to come up to the front to pray. But you know what? The, another way to look at it is the gospel makes it available for you. That when you come up and you want to pour out something, maybe there's some repentance that needs to take place. It's like, this is not lining up. I've been, molding, I've been molding this book to my life instead of molding my life to this book. And I need to rearrange some stuff. I need to realign some stuff. And you wanna come up here and you've tried to say it a 10 times at your house, but there's something about having your heart posture match your physical posture where you're like, this is the day We start having family devotions as a family. This is the day I start reading my Bible some. This is the day we honor God in our home, or in our marriage, in my money, whatever it is. Or this is the day that I can actually tell God that I'm turning from my sin and he will give me his righteousness. So what we're gonna do is I'm I'm gonna ask you to stand wherever you are, just stand to your feet. It's good, it's not the end. We got about five minutes left. So stand to your feet. And then what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna pray And really the two choices, normally we say, come, sing, bring, come, sing, bring. Today is kind of, listen, it's really about either worship or just come down and pray. For some of you, it's a burden, it's a prodigal, it's an issue, you come pray. For some of you, it's sin needs to be repented of, come down here and say, God, because of what you've done, I can be honest and transparent with you. So Father, we want to pray the next five minutes as we just talk about the worthiness of the name of Jesus. that from the bottom of our heart and the top of our lungs, you would see what we think about you. Thank you for loving us so intensely. You wanna protect us. And you wanna protect the purity of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So God, do help us be discerning. Help us be discerning. We don't wanna fall for everything. Help us be discerning. But God, help us be deliberate Help us be desperate to have a touch of God on our life again. A touch of light, a touch, touch of God on us again that you would do for us what we cannot do for ourselves. So our prayer is the next four or five minutes, whether we're praying, whether we're worshiping, whether we're crying or whether we're crying out, that you would be pleased. We pray it in Jesus' name, amen.